I focused on making other people look good and making the team reach their goals. And what I found when I did that, especially in the process of managing my boss and making him or her look good, when it came time for raises, when it came time for bonuses, when it came time for promotions, uh, I was often near the top of the list because people want those type of people to work with them and be on their team who aren't in it for themselves, but are able to just focus on other people. Caution. Listening to this podcast may motivate you to make positive changes in your life, identify ways to accelerate your career trajectory and develop a path towards financial freedom. This is the Career Meets World podcast, and I'm your host, Edward Gorbis, and I've spent the last 10 years focused on helping thousands of people advance their career while in parallel teaching a secret recipe to reach financial independence. And I'm here to share the untold stories of successful people and teach thousands of listeners how to develop a growth mindset. Our minds are malleable. And everyone has the power to change their mindset through perseverance, dedication, and a passion for learning. So if you're ready to skyrocket your business and financial literacy, turn up the volume and let's dive right in. This is the Career Meets World podcast. Welcome back, podcast family. With us today, we have an incredible guest We have Aaron McDaniel, who is a globally recognized corporate manager, speaker, and author with a passion for helping organizations innovate and attract, engage, and retain top talent. Aaron began his corporate career at AT AT&T as part of its flagship MBA-only leadership development program as an undergrad. From there, he rose to become one of the youngest to serve as a regional vice president at just age 27, and was part of AT&T's Diamond Club, top 1% of sales leaders worldwide. Aaron is currently one of the youngest faculty members at UC Berkeley's Haas School of Business, where he's also an alumnus, and is the co-founder of 10X Innovation Lab, an international consulting firm helping corporations and governments across four continents build and leverage innovation ecosystems. He is also the managing partner of GrowScale, a real estate private equity firm. Aaron is a serial entrepreneur, having founded three companies that were acquired, Pong360, Tycoon, and Access Invest, one of which he turned down an offer for ABC's Shark Tank. Aaron is an author of the international acclaimed Young Professionals Edge book series, has been featured in numerous media outlets, including Forbes, Inc., Bloomberg, Businessweek, CBS Radio, Entrepreneur, and the U.S. News and World Report, and is trusted by top companies, including the Ritz-Carlton, Deloitte Consulting, Wells Fargo, the United Health Group. Aaron is simply a powerhouse because he's also the vice chairman of Project Giving Kids, a nonprofit helping kids learn empathy through age-appropriate volunteering opportunities in the Bay Area. My man, Aaron, it is so good to see you. It's so good to have you on the show. It's been a long, long time coming. How's the day been so far? Uh, Edward, thank you so much for having me. It's it's an honor to, to get to speak to you and your audience. Uh, it's been, it's been a good day. I, you know, it's crazy times, I think is how most people describe it. I think there's not really a better way to describe it. I'm here sporting my COVID haircut, having not <laughs> cut my hair in months. Um, but, you know, at the same time, challenges in times like these create opportunity. And so it's interesting to see how people are shifting and adapting and, and making the most of this time to educate themselves and, and to, to start new ventures. Love it. I love the hair. You're letting it flow. We're going back to 1970s uh, <laughs> hockey mullets. So there we keep go. it rocking, Aaron. <laughs> Great opportunity. But in the spirit of flow, I want to get right into things because there's so many good things to chat with you about. And we can take this in so many different directions. But I start off by really thinking through, look, our audience is eager. They're hungry. They're, they're thinking about how to progress. And they're looking at today's world as an opportunity to launch their career, to take things forward. And many of us, including myself, and you know this, have always loved to plan. 
And planning is an important part of setting goals and hitting specific milestones throughout our personal careers and endeavors, but plans don't always go according to plan as 2020 has shown us. So as we dive in, I'd love to understand your personal perspective on what planning means, how to stay agile, but also have clear milestones along the way. Yeah, absolutely. I think no matter what context you're in, uh, things are always constantly changing and adapting. If you, if you have your own startup, your own venture, I mean, it's all about being agile, finding your business model, just figuring out who your customer is, those million questions you have to answer. And then, you know, if you've been in a corporate environment, the, the joke is like change is constant. It's sort of change as business as usual. So things are always adapting. So if you don't have that skill, like you got to build that skill. But, um, you know, the, the way I look at things in terms of my career journey and, and the way I approach things, it's, it's people fall anywhere on a spectrum, right? It's, it's not necessarily one or the others, you know, somewhere in between, but uh, you know, you were talking about how you like to be a planner. Um, you know, there's one side of the spectrum is people who are like, this is my goal. I'm going to do this. I'm going to map out every step along the way and, and I'm going to make it no matter what. And I think, uh, you know, doing that is good to set up the, the scaffolding. I think, you know, it sets you up to be resilient and go through things till you reach your goal. Um, you know, but at the same time, I tend to sit on the other end of the spectrum, you know, somewhere much closer to the other side, which is being more open to opportunities. You know, I, I look at my career path and, you know, when, when you focus on your one path, I'm going to be a doctor, or I'm going to go do this or whatever, you're limiting yourself to anything, only things that you can think of in your mind. If you're open to opportunities, when outside opportunities come to you, things you never even thought of can come your way. And I've liked that. It's more exciting that way. And, and just being open to opportunities to identify them, to be flexible, to meet them has tended to, to help me a lot in my pretty unique career path. So I like what you said there, because oftentimes, including myself, again, we think of this clear pathway. I wanted to be an engineer. I thought I was going to go honestly work at NASA, be an aerospace engineer at one point. Yeah. And now I am a performance coach, right? So it has gone through a lot of different pathways that I could have never imagined. And part of it was just taking things as they come from the world, right? And taking those opportunities as they show up. What do you see as some of those big opportunities that are popping up in 2020 that somebody with a clear plan might not be able to see because they either have their blinders on or because they're so focused on what's in front of them and what they feel like they need to accomplish. Yeah, I mean, opportunities are everywhere. And, and I, think, I think the main question that I've thought about a lot over the last few months is what is going to go back to just the way it was and what is going to be completely changed forever. You know, some of the bigger things like group gatherings, or just the office environment, but also little things about how you know, interactions occur. You know, as a small example, I, I do a lot of real estate investing. I run a real estate private equity firm. And uh, just the whole signing process with a notary, where you have to go and meet with someone in person. And you know, technically, it's easier in the current system for someone who's a forger who can just have your signature and maybe you know, has a fake version of your ID to go in and get somebody to sign something. Whereas if you use a tool like Zoom, which I recently had to use Zoom for, uh, for a signing because we couldn't get a notary in time, they recorded it and they actually had a video of me putting my pen on the paper and signing it, showing my ID and showing the signature that they could save forever you know, in a digital file. I think that's probably a better way to do things. So some things are just going to change permanently, um, even the little things. And so I think it's just identifying those problems, those opportunities as they come up, you know, with, with uh, the, the classes I teach in entrepreneurship, you know, that, that's really the big thing is identifying what a problem is or an opportunity for a benefit that, that isn't being delivered and finding a way to deliver that to whoever your end customer is. And, and the beauty of how businesses change where um, the barriers to entry are so much lower now because of all of the tools and in, in a lot of ways software that we have that facilitate it, it's really easy for you to build a business. And there are so many niche interests out there that just finding your niche uh, can really create a successful business even if you're focused on a very small fraction of people. Yeah, absolutely. You're right. Opportunity is always there and it's on us to seek it out, to understand like how we evolve and 
how the world's really shifting and changing. And we have to be a part of that process, no matter what our plans are. So you have done a lot throughout your career. You've started all the way in corporate. You're one of the most successful people at at and And I want to unpack that in just a second. But uh, you took so many leaps of faith throughout your corporate career, throughout your entrepreneurship kind of endeavors. And there's so many of them. There's so many fun ones, really successful ones. You're out and about right now also teaching I want to understand Aaron McDaniel and really get deep because there's so much that you've done and all of it is predicated on overcoming limiting beliefs, building up that abundance mindset that I can accomplish as much as I want to essentially, right? Like the world's your oyster literally and there's so much opportunity right now. So if we rewind the clock and think back when you graduated Berkeley. You had such a great experience there. You launched into the world. And what were you thinking at that time to the best of your recollection, right? I'm starting out my career. I can apply anywhere. I can almost go anywhere to the extent that people will take me. What was going through your head as you looked at your career onwards? Yeah. So I think I looked at it maybe a little differently than, than a lot of my peers at the time. And, um, you know, a lot of people were focused in particular where I studied business. And so we focused on what we call the ABCs, accounting, banking, and consulting. And while some of those career paths were sexy, you know, they seem cool. You get to do these cool things. It's really sought after. Um, the, the framework that I looked at things according to was transferable skills. I think just the way that a lot of us have grown up is that we, we want to focus on uh, our passions. You know, oh, we got to find something we're passionate about. And, you know, through, through my books uh, that are for young professionals, as well as, as some of the coaching and, and speaking that I do, um, I like to say, you know, instead of focusing on your passion, it's better to focus early on your career on transferable skills. If you think about like our parents' generation, I, I think the, the line I heard, you know, totally not scientific, but like, you know, some sort of study about you go through five different major career shifts or they did. You know, I think for us, we're going to be going through like 10 or more. And so if you can create some transferable skills that can follow you, that'll help make you successful. So um, I almost went into management consulting, had some opportunities there, but decided to go into management. Part of the reason I was like, you know, no matter what industry you're in, no matter what company you're in, no matter what job function from like, you know, accounting to sales to whatever, management is important. And, and I had a unique opportunity with the leadership development program at AT&T, where basically day one, I could get management experience at a Fortune 10 company. So, you know, pretty, pretty amazing. And, and actually for me at the time, uh, they were allowed some undergrad graduates into the program, uh, but primarily MBA. And, and I think one or two years after that, it became an MBA only program. So it was just really cool to be put at the same level an MBA grad was and manage people right away. Obviously there are challenges with that that I can talk about, but um, those transferable skills have helped me wherever I've gone. You know, Management skills help you when you go start your own company as well, for example. So first of all, uh, I know you've written some amazing books. Can you remind us what the titles are? Yeah, so, so the, the Young Professionals Guide to the Working World uh, is a book that's more for individual contributors, helping you learn how to build the foundation for your career. Um, you know, some of the messages I probably will mention today will be related to it. Um, and, and, you know, it's very much tailored to a young audience. I mean, each chapter is like four or five pages. I, like, I hate those business books that like, you know, a hundred pages in you're saying, they're saying the same thing five times and I'm like, I got it. Right. So, um, you know, it goes through, through that. I, I kind of have this silly analogy talking about the, the star employee, someone who's savvy, tenacious, adaptive, and resourceful. And the other side, someone who's a dope, who disses opportunity, potential, and earnings. And uh, I don't mean like someone who's not intelligent, but, you know, someone who doesn't take ownership of their career. Um, and then my second book is uh, The Young Professional's Guide to Managing, which is basically how to be an effective young manager. Uh, it's very tactical in both books. You know, like I said, short chapters. There are a ton of resources I have on my website, uh, aaronmcdaniel.co.co. Um, where you, you know, you have forms you can fill out, you know, everything from like leading team meetings to doing coaching to hiring. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. And I want to dig into a little bit more what you're talking about is these transferable skills and this recognition, especially early on, right? You mentioned 
many of your peers and I'll, and I'll say I wasn't a peer, but I did the exact same thing. I graduated. I have to get a job. I need to go run. Like that was my plan. I need to make money. And I never stopped to think or ask myself what's happening in front of me, what's happening today, what is relevant today, and how is this potentially going to benefit me down the road? And for me, and a huge impetus of why I started Career Meets World was to provide that guidance, to provide that support, to build community around individuals who want to understand how to bypass a lot of those call mistakes or lessons learned but I recognize a lot of that stems around community, people supporting you, people helping you. Who is there for you? Because I know you're somebody who loves the network, you're a natural relationship builder, but who is really there to say, Aaron, these are some things that you can consider. These are things you might want to avoid, or they're not necessarily the best places to go. Who are those key mentors for you? Yeah. You know, I, I think looking back on my career, i I wish that I had engaged mentors more. And, and I think there, there are different types of mentorship that I think are underutilized. So there's the traditional, you know, this is the person I aspire to be. Often they're like a lot older than you. Um, and there's value to those type of relationships. But there are two other types that I really think are underutilized. One is peer mentoring. You know, and I think for the most part, most of us, uh, you know, had a sibling or had a cousin or, you know, somebody who was a friend of ours, a little older than us that kind of gave us, you know, some ideas of what, uh, you know, how to be successful in things or in, in the sibling case, like not getting in trouble with their parents. Um, and so that peer mentoring is important because it's someone who's at the same generation. You know, often when you talk to somebody who's been, you know, at an executive level, they forget what it's like to be like as an entry level employee earlier on in your career. And they look at things totally different because they are of a different generation. So peer mentorship, I think, is underutilized is important. Um, in, in, is important. Um, when I was in college, I was in a number of professional organizations, including a business fraternity. And, uh, you know, we focused a lot on creating those skills to be successful in recruiting and also in your career. And there was a great network there uh, for, for just, you know, tactically things like resumes, but also just how to conduct yourself professionally that were uh, really helpful for me. Um, the second type of mentoring that I like to talk about too is, is I call them mini mentors, M-I-N-I. -I. And so the idea that, you know, not one person is going to be your mentor that can answer every question you have, but, you know, have a mini mentor for all of these targeted things. And it could be, you know, like, let's say you're in a really heavy regulated industry. It's a mini mentor about compliance as it relates to your job or a mini mentor about that CRM software that you got to use at work or something like that. Uh, so they can take a lot of different forms. Um, but the idea is almost like a community of a bunch of little mentors. And, and part of the art of it also is finding ways to help pay them back too. And you may think to yourself, I'm early in my career. What can I offer them? There's always a way that you can, uh, you can help other people with the skills that you have. Certainly reciprocity goes a long, long way into relationship building. And I like that idea of a mini mentor because you're right many people are super skills or laser focused on one particular skill and right like even the other day i'm talking to a cpa i'm not going to get legal advice from them as well so right. people have an understanding about a deep topic and hopefully they're there to support you and you can support them in some other way as well no matter what that age is oftentimes people later on their career either want to coach or they want to get some feedback on a product that they want to start and you might be the right target audience. So there's so many different ways to kind of provide that reciprocity. And again, thinking about like your early days, because that's really the bread and butter of who you are today. We'll get to that in a second, but beyond uh, just the mentorship, the early start, this incredible program that AT&T afforded you to become essentially one of the youngest VPs in their company's history that's all fine and dandy, but nobody goes through life without incredibly difficult challenges and setbacks. And I'd love to early on put you on the hot seat and really ask what was one of those difficult moments that just stand out to you right away that was not easy and you went through it and maybe some of those limiting beliefs crept in? What was it and how did you overcome that moment? Yeah. So, First, I'll get on my soapbox for just a second, and then I'll tell some stories. So I think um, one thing I've noticed about myself and younger people, I'll lump myself in with 20-somethings too, um, 
you know, the way we grew up, a lot of us, we, we have these, we have a lot of like awesome characteristics individually and, you know, as a generation, but there are a couple that are kind of dangerous, especially when they're mixed together. And, and one of them is this sense of entitlement, you know, because we're used to like getting participation trophies for everything and being, you know, recognized just for showing up. Like I, I remember I got a certificate in school just for good attendance. It was like, Okay, you know, that's in your career, that's like table stakes showing up, you know. Um, so it's creating this sense of entitlement and it leads for opportunities for you to get like, you know, disappointed and maybe overreact when things don't go your way. The other side is because mainly of technology, we have this inherent impatience because we're used to instant gratification. Because, you know, like our parents would like write a letter to someone and wait a week for them to receive it. I mean, I get pissed when like my text won't send immediately because I don't have good network coverage, you know? Um, and so when you put those things together, it creates this lack of resilience. It creates this scenario where you're like, yeah, you know, this is kind of difficult. Maybe this job or this industry isn't for me. There are a ton of opportunities out there. I'm going to go do something else. And so I, I think the art of it is not just running away when you hit obstacles, because I believe, and a lot of successful people I've talked to believe that your ultimate success in business and, and probably life is directly proportional to how resilient you are. And the only way to build those muscles and build that, I think that the term people like to use now is grit, is by going through difficult situations and overcoming obstacles. So keep in the back of your head when you go through tough situations, you know, that you're learning, you're building that muscle and it's important to get through it. Now, at the same time, the art of it is figuring out when it really is a good time to move on versus when it's just a struggle to overcome. But I just think that's so important because if you don't build those muscles, you're likely just going to keep going from place to place. And, you know, I, when I'm hiring people and I see that they're at a place for 11 months, 13 months, a year and a half, a year, I go, well, I don't want to hire them because they're likely just going to take a bunch of training for me and move on to another position. And I'm not going to get a return on that investment. They're not the right person. So, um, okay. So off my soapbox, that as a side, um, I, you know, I think there, there were a lot of situations where I struggled and had, you know, adversities and things like I was just telling you like the very first uh, job I had, I had to manage all these people twice my age. Uh, you know, when we, um, when, when AT&T launched UVerse, the television service, I managed one of the first garages in the state of California. So we were just like literally, you know, these people, technicians were out there. Um, we had these goals to Wall Street of how many in-service customers we would have. And so, you know, I, I'd have guys and gals who had been at someone's house at eight in the morning and it's 10 at night and they still haven't been able to figure out how to install the TV service at someone's house. Uh, and I'm telling them that they can't leave until the customer kicks them out. You know, it's tough situations like that. Um, but, you know, like one of them that just comes comes across my mind is um, I had done really well in sales. I was, I was part of uh, AT&T's Diamond Club, top 1% of sales leaders worldwide as a manager. And uh, we actually had a reorg. And I was, you know, top in, in my region, if not the country for any given year. I had, I was in San Francisco. I had a team in San Francisco. I had the San Francisco area. I had built all of this. And then we had this reorg and the leadership came from another organization. And all of a sudden I had a very poor performing team in an area far away in a very like not good business sales area. And so I, and, and you know, to myself, I was like, what is going on? I was like the best I've proven this. There should be some sort of consideration for that instead of the politics of somebody getting that position instead of me. And so, um, you know, I kind of came face to face with that obstacle and had to navigate that and suck it up a little bit. Um, but, but, you know, it also helped me face some of the myths that I saw coming into my career, you know, coming into my career, I always thought, okay, I'm going to get a raise every year. I'm going to become, you know, a VP in like two or three years or something. And in reality, like most big companies at least, there are like six different levels between like of management, between a first level manager and the CEO. So there are only six times in like 40 years that you can be promoted. So it's like impossible to get promoted every single year because there aren't 40 different levels. Um, you know, or, or actually one of the things that I, I came across, which was hard to believe because I did come from a very supportive childhood was you know, I kind of thought everyone was going to be there to help me, you know, because that's, I, I always had resources to help. And, 
you know, to speak cynically, when it comes down to it, my boss and peers, they cared more about feeding themselves and their family than they cared about me, right? And so, you know, that can kind of be a challenge when, when you face that. Um, you know, I also, I don't know if we want to get into this now, but I, I had the, the Shark Tank scenario where I basically was like called a criminal on national television. Uh, obviously for entertainment value, but, you know, picking yourself up after that, there, there are a number of businesses I've had that have failed and you spend you know, just hours and months and tons of money on them and you have to just, you know, cut it off and move to something new, but it just, it, you know, that hurts to have put all that in to have thought that you had something successful that, that didn't work out. Um, it happens all the time. For the record, uh, for anybody listening, Aaron McDaniel is absolutely not a criminal. He's a genuine human <laughs> being. Uh, and I've known him for a very long time. But that being said, and you kind of teed it up nicely, look, like again, you shared so many good examples about where you've struggled, where you've had challenges, where you thought you were going to get a promotion, a raise, a better team, a bigger team. And it just doesn't happen that way. Like life doesn't operate that way where everything is always handed to you. There's no instant gratification. You could work for years and still not see results. And it takes maybe that fourth year, that fifth year where everything comes together. So you had worked at at t Obviously you had made some decisions about just like shifting gears and you'd always have this innovative forward thinking mind. You wanted to start up a lot of different things. And obviously now you've reached this like let's call it a point of success. But again, through that process, there's so many things that went wrong. And I remember when that lovely episode on Shark Tank came out, when you were uh, kind of running with your real estate business at the time, was it called Real Estate Tycoon? Is that right? Tycoon Real Estate, yep. Tycoon Real Estate, there we go. So you had the opportunity to go on Shark Tank and pitch the sharks. Uh, (laughs) Obviously, it wasn't necessarily what you envisioned, uh, but help us understand what that personally felt like one to get the opportunity to go onto shark tank, which many people aspire to do and, and pitch their idea, but also the experience, what you learned, uh, Mark Cuban bagging you a little bit. Tell us all about that. Yeah. So, I mean, I was, I was naive going in the situation. I thought that it was going to be an entrepreneur talking to investors, but it really was an entrepreneur talking to actors. You know, they were saying things to get a rise out of me, the whole prison thing. You know, at one point, I, I, I won't be able to quote it verbatim, but essentially Robert Hershevek was like, Aaron, I've made a lot of money on real estate, but it's always been all luck, you know? And I know he doesn't believe that, right? You know, but he was saying it just to see what would happen in the conversation. And, you know, obviously when you, when you have a show like that too, I, I, they record for an hour or more and they cut it down to, you know, five or 10 minutes. And so uh, what ended up happening, I did have an offer from uh, Kevin O'Leary, but earlier that week before filming, I literally had got money in the bank for my seed round of funding money in the bank. And he wanted one twenty-fifth of the valuation that I had just given those investors. And so, you know, this doesn't make the error, but I'm literally like, I can't give you that. I can't give you a 25 five times better deal than, than just, you know, giving other investors a few days ago, you know? And so, you know, they, they play it and edit it the way they want, but um, you know, you, you kind of go with things, but you know, at the same time um, I think part of it was uh, because it was a brand new business at the time. And I had watched the show obviously. And I had seen that usually they pick apart the person and they pick apart the idea and the performance. I was like, well, this is a new idea. So they can't really pick apart any existing business track record. And frankly, my experience, you know, I, I have a pretty good background with things. Um, so I think I was just maybe a little too optimistic going into things, not, not thinking that they would, uh, you know, pretend to hate me as much as they did or whatever. But, uh, but you know, what, one thing I did think was interesting is, is usually the way they, they cut it um, or, or the, the, the mindset of most entrepreneurs was uh, they interview you after you do the filming and usually the message is like, oh, I, I still believe in my business. I'm going to take it to the top. <laughs> and I mean, my, my sort of thought was listening to them. They didn't even take the time to really understand my idea. Like I actually was really disappointed that Barbara Corcoran, who this is one of the main reasons they wanted to bring me on the producers because it was a real estate idea. She didn't even understand the idea. Like the whole concept is 
um, that you find experienced developers and real estate investors and give them a new channel of capital. And the way that she explained herself as she was going out showed that she didn't even understand that. And so, you know, it was, it was like beyond being able to be explained, but, you know, at the same time I, I had talked to um, another entrepreneur who had been on a previous season and in deciding whether to be on the show or not, he and his business partners did the math and they're like, you know, it ends up being about $8 million in free advertising. When you think of the advertising slots uh, that they get paid. And so who's not going to take, you know, $8 million of free advertising if you can to get ripped apart on national television, but yeah. it's worth it. And it's obviously served you dividends since then. Well, I mean, the bottom line is this, I sold the company. So, you know, and then I went on to start another company and continue on. And so, uh, you know, there are failures, you learn from them, you pick yourself up and you keep going. Exactly. So it was quite the production. And that obviously what happens when you go on a show like Shark Tank or even a podcast is partly a production as well. But uh, we just try to keep everything in it. So uh, you get all the raw and fun details. So I think there's going to be a lot of people listening that obviously are inspired by your story, what you had done, how you thought about things and kind of overcoming some of those tribulations throughout your life. If you think about, again, somebody that's in the midst of their career right now, maybe made a pivot, maybe it's just starting out, mm -hmm. right? You had started in corporate and then went on to pursue endeavors and passions and ideas. What would be your recommendation to somebody, again, going through corporate? I think you brought up a really good topic earlier, which is transferable skills, which obviously those play out when you start to run your own business and you put on that CEO and entrepreneur hat. But really, what could they be thinking right now? What skills can they be continuing to develop if they aspire to one day start their own business? Uh, yeah, that's a great question. I, I think... Just in general, whether it's specific to your job or more of like a meta question, uh, the, I think we're really good at answering the question at any given point in our career, what is my job? You know, it's a level of a job description and maybe some funny witty quips about something. But the much more important question to ask yourself right now and really at any given point is, why am I here? You know, what am I individually doing? Let, let's use the context of a full-time job. What can I contribute that nobody else can, you know, beyond that job description? And, you know, it can be core to what the business is. It can be something else. Like, I'll, I'll just give a, a small example. So when, when I was managing the call center at the beginning of my career, we were moving from one office in the, San, in the city of San Francisco to uh, the East Bay. And everybody had been working in the same office location for years and years and years. As you get older in your career, you're less open to change. And so there were a lot of problems these employees were having uh, with, with moving. And so I created this thing called the morale committee with, with one of my peers. And it was just like to make everybody feel good, to recognize people for different things. It wasn't core to the business of serving our customers, but it was still something that lasted for a few years after I had left that position. And so that was an answer at the time to why am I here? What's something I can contribute above and beyond? And so doing that within your job, I think is important as well. You know, taking, taking a step back and asking, you know, more of that global question of just your life, like, why am I here? I think is, is an important question to ask as well. And, you know, so what, one of those answers to me, it doesn't have to be just one answer, but one of those answers to me uh, is around teaching people. And that's why, you know, I'd love to get on podcasts like yours. That's why I've written books. That's why I, I teach at the Haas School of Business. Uh, you know, I do some other coaching and things uh, through my company, 10X Innovation Lab. Um, that's important to me. That's part of why I'm here. And so when you answer that question, when you have a good answer to that, you know, it'll help direct your actions and where you decide to go. Um, I think the other thing that's became an important thought to me or an important, uh, I don't know, situation is the fact that I would have some level of control of my career and my career journey. And as much as, um, you know, I loved AT&T, there were a lot of great experiences there. Um, ultimately, I noticed that basically you had to be in a situation where somebody said jump and you, all you could say was how high. And uh, you know, this is nothing against anybody who lives in Dallas because Dallas is an awesome place, but I also just didn't want to live in Dallas 
for the rest of my life. You know, I, I like, I'm a California guy. I like California. And, and what I saw, and this was also kind of weird to me because AT&T is a technology company that sells the ability to work from anywhere to people. But the enterprise organization at the time was making everybody director level and above general manager and above move to Dallas to be in one place. And obviously I understand the benefit of in-person stuff, but I mean, you know, I, I think now just with COVID, we're seeing how people have, can work remotely. Businesses still can operate. You can have a different quality of life if you're living in a place you want to live in. And so uh, part of that criteria was, uh, was, you know, I wanted to control things. I wanted to, to have a say in what happened in my career. And, and ultimately, you know, basically the whole time I was at AT&T for about a decade, I was doing side businesses. Um, I, I obviously didn't talk about it in a big way with my company because that's often frowned upon, uh, depending on what the business is. Um, but, uh, you know, I knew I was getting to that point, but it, it was also a really interesting transition to go from uh, working at a company and having that steady paycheck and having this, everything associated with that to all of a sudden being an entrepreneur and having complete control of your destiny and having to have confidence in yourself that, that you were delivering something of value that should be paid for and, you know, everything that comes along with that. It's such an important reminder that, again, we have limited time on this earth, literally. And this year, again, is a perfect reminder of why that is. And oftentimes I see people applying to jobs and they take on jobs that probably check off three out of the 50 things that they really care about or are good at or that the value that they could really provide. But it does pay the bills. And I completely empathize with the need to do that. But from a fulfillment standpoint, it rarely checks the boxes. You often, you can get a job because you think your manager is going to be incredible and that manager leaves a month later or they get promoted. Or like you were talking about at AT AT&T, you end up going through a reorg and we have no control over that process. We have no control over what a company does because at the end of the day, sometimes CEO doesn't have a control. The board has control ultimately. And that's such an important reminder that no matter how big we puff up our chests or we think we might be in the environment or what we had done well for 10 days a quarter, people forget, people need to feed their own families. People are going to do what's best for that organization. And what you've done in your life is ultimately taken control of it and realize I'm going to do what's best for me. And I'm going to do what's best for my family. I'm going to do what's best for my community. And you're manifesting your true skills through teaching, right? You're teaching in many different formats right now through your business, through everything you're doing at Haas at Berkeley, through working on -on one-on-one with people and going out doing motivating speeches to a lot of different organizations. Like that's your true calling. And again, you have your own real estate fund right now, which is kind of V2 or V3 of uh, post-tycoon real estate. But I'm just curious, how did you ultimately land at this point, right? You went on, you sold a couple of businesses, you are where you are today. How are you so set on those key things that you're giving back to the society and being able to control what you want to project out into the world? Uh, that's a great question. I mean, to, to the point, like I like to integrate helping others into any situation. I, I found early in my career when I was in a job at AT&T, uh, I focused on making other people look good and making the team reach their goals. And what I found when I did that, especially in the process of managing my boss and making him or her look good, when it came time for raises, when it came time for bonuses, when it came time for promotions, uh, I was often near the top of the list because people want those type of people to work with them and be on their team who aren't in it for themselves, but are able to just focus on other people. Um, and so, you know, for me, helping people has always been been part of that. Even even the limited partner investors in, in, in our real estate uh, investments, we help teach them to be more educated investors and help them with their own real estate deals outside of the ones they're investing with us on because you know, we just think that's important. Um, but, you know, I think, I think ultimately, you know, you, you talked previously about mindset and these living, living beliefs. And 
I, I take ownership of this quote. If if I'm wrong, you know, I'd love to see who who said it, but I, I haven't seen it, and so I take ownership myself. But I like to say, we don't live in an either or world; we live in an and world. And the the uh, where I came up with that quote, I actually was uh, my I was out with my wife girlfriend at the time having uh, having dinner, and she was having trouble choosing what uh, what dessert to get from the menu, and I was I think I just wittily said that. And I, and I thought to myself, you know, that's actually pretty true. And I think a lot of people, they put themselves in that category, either or. Like, not, I don't want to get on a, off on a tangent about this, but I think the political environment in the United States is a perfect example of that. Everybody is either on one extreme or the other. It's either or or. And there's not a lot of and happening. And I think amongst people, when the and happens, great things happen. In your own mind, when you realize that not everything is a trade-off, that you have to choose this or this, and there are ways to do both, you know, it really opens things up for you. And, and I, I did that in my own career, starting at AT&T. Like I said, I was working this full-time job, but I always had these side businesses. And, you know, I, I kind of knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur. And it wasn't like, oh, I got I to gotta wait until later down the line and do that. Um, I, I found a way to do both of them at once. And I, I think that that works in, in a lot of different facets of life. Absolutely. And I'm going to borrow that quote and give you a full copyright on it. But uh, first of all, did your wife end up choosing both desserts? She did. She did. I was like, just get both. And so she, we, were, we were full by the end. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. And it's so true, though, that oftentimes we think we only have one option. But what if you ask yourself, can I do both? Can I commit to both? Can I take on and really create a plan or a structure where I'm involved in both aspects? It could be eating two desserts. It could be having two jobs. It can be having a job and starting a side business. It could be a parent, obviously, like being a parent and having multiple jobs. There's so many combinations. Um, and again, it's just there's so much opportunity right now and the world is ever more connected, right? We're disconnected maybe locally from a personal interaction perspective, but you can quite frankly reach out to anyone. So people now- are more accessible now, really. It'd be harder to meet with somebody before now. Like a lot of people are at home, they're more open to random people contacting them, you know? <laughs> exactly. Uh, a lot of podcast hosts were not able to reach a lot of people before because they ran their shows in person you can talk to anyone right now, as long as they have a mic, maybe Zoom and Wi-Fi connection. So uh, that being said, look, you've done so many good things throughout your career. And I love, love, love. And it's inspiring even to me that you're helping so many people right now through different mediums. And I want to know, how do you stay sharp? How do you stay crisp? How do you keep educating your own mind and really fueling it with more vibrant and healthy information through like books or podcasts through people like what's your go-to methodology to continuously learn yeah so i i find that i have a pretty strong filter you know i do my best not to look at a bunch of news uh you know sometimes it's a struggle but but not scrolling through social media endlessly um so uh putting up those barriers because we're so bombarded with information uh to limit the amount i i think is just you know, a, a important thing in and of itself. I mean, taking ownership of your time is absolutely key. And to go off on one tangent for a second, you know, all of us have heard uh, work-life balance. I, I like to say work-life integration. And, and really the, the key to this and life instead of either or is taking ownership of your time and finding that integration point. Like even when I was at AT&T, um, I would find ways to, you know, do, you know, I'd have, I was on the West Coast, but I was working with people in later time zones. I'd have some early morning calls. I would do some customer service stuff related to my personal business on the side. I'd go speak to a group of executives at lunch for my books. I'd come back and do more meetings, do a little networking to go out with friends and then spend a few hours at night doing email, integrating them all together. And, and when you learn how to do that integration, whatever those pieces are, um, you know, it can help you take better command of things. And, and ultimately, times like now with COVID and most of us working remote, that gives us the opportunity to, to start doing that integration and taking more ownership of things and, and getting more leeway, leeway, excuse me, that, that it, and, and then a lot of times a full-time job doesn't give you. So, um, you know, that, from that perspective, but 
you know, back to your question around just, you know, how I get information and, and those filters and, and how I stay sharp. I think uh, one of the big things is surrounding myself with other people who are, you know, inspiring and interesting to me and, and doing things. Uh, you know, I, I look back on my, um, my career and my mindset. And I think in a lot of ways, I wasn't necessarily a person that had these trailblazing, amazing ideas. It was more that I surrounded myself with people who could provide those ideas. I identified opportunities and was flexible enough to take advantage of them. And so, you know, it's oftentimes, I, I think one thing that I constantly go through and, and you go through when, when you go from more of like an individual contributor to more of a, a, um, a manager, I guess, is, is basically finding ways to get other people's efforts. You're not all having to do this all yourself. You know, it could be, and it doesn't necessarily mean like hiring somebody who lives in your city. I mean, there are a lot of like virtual resources you can use uh, from across the globe. You know, we're all easily connected there or, or even just, you know, ways to tap into the crowd and get help for things that you're doing. So there are a lot of opportunities out there. I think it's just about taking ownership of your time, setting up the right filters and surrounding yourself with the right people to, uh, to make you successful and motivate you. There's a really famous quote, again, I have no idea who said it, but it will most likely resonate with a lot of people is that you're a reflection of the five people you spend the most amount of yeah. time with. Absolutely. Yep. So if you want to get better and you're thinking about who do I talk to on a daily basis, and again, I would never recommend cutting out your family, but be mindful of what they're kind of providing for you, what they're giving you, how they're influencing you. Think about who you want to surround yourself with. It's such an important part of life and instrumental to how we think, how we operate. So as we end on that note, Mr. McDaniel, we are going to put you through the hot seat where we're going to ask you a bunch of questions uh, really intended to stump you to hopefully get some more insight and wisdom through that thought process. So Aaron, are you ready? I'm ready. Let's do this. So look, you were on Shark Tank and it was on TV, quite an epic disaster. But if you were to meet Mark Cuban today and talk about what you've been able to accomplish, what would be the first thing you say to him? Yeah, I, I don't really think there's any animosity there. I mean, you know, they're all very accomplished people. Uh, they're also there for entertainment purposes. So no matter what they said on the show, you know, it might not be disjoint with how they truly believe because they're sort of playing characters. So, you know, I probably have a little chuckle about that and uh, and more probably just talk to him as a peer. I mean, obviously he's a billionaire and I'm not, but, you know, people are people. You know, just being able to find ways to connect with them. I mean, you know, just as a side, you know, especially in this like Instagrammable society we live in, the idea of like taking a selfie with a celebrity is great and, you know, getting their autograph or whatever. I would much rather build a connection with somebody uh, and, and have a real conversation. And, and ultimately, especially like if you're talking celebrities, they probably appreciate that more than somebody who's looking for something from them. Love that. If uh, there's another profession in your future, it might be diplomacy. So uh, I love the answer. <laughs> um, look, you do teach a lot and specifically you teach at Berkeley on entrepreneurship and you've been doing this for a few years now. If I put 24 seconds on the shot clock right now, what would be one piece of advice you would give people that really want to jump into entrepreneurship? Your key to entrepreneurial success comes down to one word, customers. Okay, I think we all get lost in all of these other things that it takes to run a business. But ultimately, if you understand your customers and deliver something of value to them, you know, ultimately as a business, you're asking, essentially what every business does is asks people to change their behavior, change how they currently do a job or solve a problem to the way that you want them to by using your product or service. And so you have to provide them enough value to get them to change their behavior and, and you know, change that inertia. And so keeping your customer at the forefront, understanding them and keeping a dialogue with your customer, most important thing to entrepreneurial success. Love it. Perfect 24 seconds. Last question for you. Let's just move past 2020 and we're 2021, it's a good calendar date. I'm not talking about New Year's resolutions, 
but what is one big goal that you see for yourself in the next calendar year that you might be already thinking about today? Yeah, you know, that's, that's a great question. I think, I think for me, it comes down to going forward with, with new exciting opportunities. You know, we, we do a lot in real estate. My, my business partner at my, at, at my company, GrowScale, and I are looking for more private equity opportunities where we can acquire, uh, you know, existing businesses or invest in existing businesses and help them. So I think it's looking to that, you know, where, where I'm at in my career, you know, I have a couple of young kids, uh, you know, married, all, all of that stuff. Um, you know, working hard earlier on and creating this entrepreneurial path for me has given me more flexibility to spend time with them when I want to not necessarily have to go to a full-time job. And so, um, you know, that freedom that you can get from being an entrepreneur, uh, from taking ownership of your own career, uh, pays dividends because then you can decide what you want to do, how you want to spend your time. And so, um, you know, continuing down that path and just being open to new opportunities that are out there. That's, that's what the next year plus looks like for me. Love it. You've built the location freedom, the time freedom, and the opportunity freedom for yourself through a lot of that continuous hard work, learning those transferable skills, that manifestation of who you truly are and seizing those opportunities, maybe deviating from the original plan a little bit. And that's what's afforded you this awesome lifestyle that you're living right now. So Aaron, thank you so much for joining us today. I know this is going to mean so much to a lot of people. And for those who do want to stay connected with you, like what's the easiest and best way to connect with you? Sure. Um, you can connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, if you just look up Aaron McDaniel, my, my extension is M-R-B-I-Z, Mr. Biz. I, I won this male pageant when I was in college and got the official title. Um, or you can email me Aaron, A-A-R-O-N, at AaronMcDaniel.co. Um, you know, would love to help you how I can. And I wish you all the best of luck on your uh, career journeys. And, you know, Edward, thanks so much for having me. It's been, it's been a lot of fun. It's always fun, my man. And as we always say at CareerMates World, go unleash your wildest potential. Thank you so much. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the CareerMates World podcast. I would love to get to meet you. There are a couple of ways we can connect. You know I love my LinkedIn. Simply search for Career Meets World or Edward Gorbis and feel free to connect. Second is via Instagram at Career Meets World. And third is through our website. I have a special spot for you full of fun, free resources. All you have to do is go to careermeetsworld.com, subscribe to our newsletter, and we'll provide you the free resources to help you boost your career and reach financial freedom. And if this podcast was helpful to you in any way, please consider rating and reviewing this podcast on Apple Podcasts. This helps us help more people. Simply tap the rate with five stars and leave a sentence with what you liked about the podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. Remember, strengthening your growth mindset is your ticket to success. I'm Edward Gorbis, and we'll catch you on next week's episode.